Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's word and apply his message to your everyday life. Visit seekingtruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today is part one of the book of Genesis, chapters 48 through 50. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Hi, everybody. Welcome to our final study, Genesis chapter 48, 49, and 50. Today is the feast day of St. Joseph, March 19th, 2020. In 1870, Pope Pius IX proclaimed St. Joseph the patron saint of the Universal Catholic Church. And he said this, Pharaoh made Joseph the Lord of his household and prince over all his possessions as Almighty God appointed Joseph, son of the patriarch Jacob, over all the land of Egypt to save grain for the people. So when the fullness of time was come and he was about to send on earth his only begotten son, the savior of the world, he chose another Joseph, of whom the first had been a type. And he made him the Lord and the chief of his household and possessions, the guardian of his choicest treasures. We find that line also in the divine praises, my friend. Pope Pius IX realizes a typology between Joseph of the Old Testament, Joseph of Egypt, and Joseph of Bethlehem of the New Testament. And eight years before he died, he proclaimed Saint Joseph of the New Testament to be the patron saint of the Universal Catholic Church. Makes perfect sense. He is the father of the beginning of the church on earth, the domestic holy family in a covenantal marriage with the mother of God, the husband of Mary, the immaculate conception, the foster father of God, Jesus Christ himself, the defender and protector of the holy family, the defender and protector of the holy family on earth, the church of almighty God. Other titles for Joseph of Bethlehem, he becomes Joseph of Nazareth. He will leave his homeland, his hometown of Bethlehem, and go to a safer place up north when Herod's son takes rule. He must flee his hometown of Bethlehem under the cover of night in the flight into Egypt to become an immigrant. Joseph the immigrant. Joseph the unemployed foreigner. But while in Egypt, Joseph must have remembered his namesake, Joseph, the patriarch and the highly favored son of Jacob. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son, said the prophet Hosea. God will call them out of Egypt. There are more titles for St. Joseph. St. Joseph most just. St. Joseph's sense of justice and righteousness outweighed his own ego, his own sense of personal pain, his own need for retribution. This is a challenge for us when we think we have been wronged either rightly or wrongly. Sometimes we think we've been wronged and we haven't been. St. Joseph most chaste is another title because he had what we call a Josephite marriage to Mary. Joseph will not touch the Ark of the New Covenant, Mary. Joseph, like Aaron's rod in the Old Testament, Joseph's rod will bloom with flowers of purity. St. Joseph is also called the mirror of patience. Why? He is waiting on God's word. He is beholding the mystery, but patiently waiting for the revelation of God's fullest plan. So he is titled St. Joseph, the mirror 
of patience. He reflects patience to the world, waiting on God's word, waiting on the unknown mystery. St. Joseph also is the model of obedience. He will listen and obey what was conveyed to him by angels in dreams. He is obedient. St. Joseph, the model of artisans. St. Joseph, the worker, but he developed his gifts and became a skillful craftsman, skilled in an art, in a craft. One that Joseph would teach to Jesus the dignity of human work, the art of creating, even though it was through Jesus that he, Joseph himself, was created. St. Joseph, another title, the illustrious son of David. He will be great. This is of Jesus. The angel told Mary, he will be called son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom, there will be no end. So Joseph is from the line of King David, as is Jesus from the line of King David. Both come from the royal line, King David, tribe of Judah. St. Joseph is also called the light of the patriarchs or the splendor of the patriarchs. Why? Because he's a model for those in positions of authority. Joseph, one of my favorite names for him, the terror of demons. Why? He, why is he called the terror of demons? Look at the snake under his feet and his rod of purity and his axe. Because in Revelation 12, the dragon stood before the woman who was about to bear a child that he might devour her child when she brought it forth. She brought forth a male child, one who would rule the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. It will be St. Joseph's job, the terror of demons, to protect Mary and Jesus from the demons, especially Satan, who wants to devour him the moment he is born. So St. Joseph, the terror of demons. The protection of Mary and of Jesus would begin from conception forward. I love these old paintings of the scene of the visitation because immediately after Mary says, be it done unto me according to your word, she left with haste to the hill country of Judea. And these old paintings show that when she entered the house of Zechariah and Elizabeth, we see Joseph with Mary, Zechariah with Elizabeth. See the arrows in all these paintings. These paintings, it's the oral tradition of the early church that Joseph accompanied Mary with haste to the hill country to protect her, to protect the child within her womb, his child, his foster son, Jesus Christ. He goes with Mary to the visitation to the hills of Ancarim. I love, I love these paintings and I love seeing Joseph's presence at the scene of the visitation. We don't often think of it that way. It's wonderful. Joseph protects Mary and baby Jesus, embryo Jesus, from conception forward. Joseph continues to protect Jesus through adolescence, teaching him chastity and virtue and scripture to a human son that he will father. He gets lost when he's 12 years old. Think of Joseph, the protector, the defender, and, and Jesus is lost. Three days they are looking for Jesus and they find him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when they saw him, his mother and father, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been looking for you anxiously. For three days they looked for him. Joseph says nothing. In all the scriptures, Joseph remains silent, the silent strength. 
Jesus went down with his parents. He went down with them and came to Nazareth and he was obedient to them. They are good parents. He is obedient to them. His mother kept all these things in her heart and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with man. That's because he had a good foster father, a human father named Joseph. When did St. Joseph die? Well, we know that John and Jesus both began their public ministries at age 30. That's the age of priesthood in the Old Testament. Jesus was six months younger than John. John came first. We do not see Joseph in the scripture during the public ministry of Jesus Christ. For instance, there is no Saint Joseph at the wedding feast at Cana. There is no Saint Joseph at the passion of Jesus Christ. There is no Saint Joseph when Jesus entrusted Mary to Saint John the Evangelist. There is no husband of Mary. There is no nephew of Mary because the relative John the Baptist has already been beheaded by Herod. With no family, Jesus assigns her to John the evangelist. And most scholars assume that Joseph must have died before the public ministry of Jesus began. The faithful believe that too. Another title for St. Joseph is St. Joseph, the patron of a happy death. Can you imagine being surrounded on your deathbed, being comforted and prayed with, with both Mary and Jesus at your side. No wonder he had a happy death and is the patron of happy deaths. And we see many statuettes, stained glass windows and paintings. Jesus must first complete his work of salvation, however. His name, Jesus, is given to him by Joseph, and it means God saves. Jesus must save by the power of his instrument of martyrdom, that is, the cross. He must first complete that work of God. Before he can open up a gateway back to the Father, he has to harrow Hades, he has to harrow Sheol, preach to those imprisoned spirits, free them. Joseph could then be crowned a saint once Jesus had died on the cross, harrowed Haiti, the crowning of St. Joseph comes next in the artwork of the church. No one in the world claims to have the relics of Mary. No one in the world claims to have the relics of St. Joseph. We don't know if he was assumed or not, but no one claims to have his grave or his relics. So a lot of typology between Old Testament Joseph, the son of Jacob, and New Testament Joseph, the son of Jacob also. Both are sons of Jacob. Both Jesus and Joseph were sons of Jacob from the tribe of Judah and the house of King David. We know Old Testament Joseph is a son of Jacob. We know New Testament Joseph. It says in Matthew 1.16 that Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So both Josephs have a father named Jacob. Today, just today, March 19th, in response to the continued spread of the coronavirus, our Archbishop George Lucas asked Catholics throughout our archdiocese to invoke the intercession of St. Joseph. All these titles today on his solemnity to protect, to defend us. Joseph, Joseph. The typology of Joseph, son of Jacob, and Joseph, son of Jacob. One more thing Joseph was phenomenal at both Joseph's was the virtue of chastity. Both Joseph's have this virtue. You'll remember Chase Joseph rebuffed Potiphar's wife and was imprisoned indefinitely for it. In the divine praises, we say Saint Joseph is titled most sacred chaste spouse of Mary. 
Saint, uh, Father Boniface Hicks wrote this, and I love this quote about Joseph. He's a master of purity. It's able to see, to read in the language of the body, the mystery of God's presence hidden in the intimate center of another. A master of modesty does not exploit this mystery, nor expose this mystery, nor run away from this mystery, but rather veils the mystery with his love. Isn't that a beautiful description of the chastity of Joseph? He continues, in the end, St. Joseph both sees and veils the mystery of God's spousal love for mankind expressed in the body of the Blessed Virgin Mary. But it took an angel to help Joseph understand this and to have the courage to accept the task. We know that in Matthew 118, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to send her away quietly. But as he considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. So it did take an angel to help Joseph understand this and to have courage to accept this great task. She will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. We know that prophet is Isaiah in chapter 7. When Joseph spoke, woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. That shows his obedience. He listened to the angel and did what the angel said. He took his wife but knew her not until she had born a son and he called his name Jesus. God saves. Joseph must protect and defend the Son of God so that he can save God's people. Joseph must constantly watch over Jesus as God's plan is going to be accomplished through Jesus. This is no small task for Joseph. If Joseph doesn't save him, then Jesus can't save us. This Joseph too in the Old Testament is saving God's people. All must come to Old Testament Joseph of Egypt for the bread of life. Joseph was protecting the salvation of the entire world. Both Josephs are protecting the bread of life for the salvation of the world. The survival of the human family is in Joseph's hands. The survival of the human family is in New Testament Joseph's hands as well. Old Testament Joseph protects the life of the entire world. New Testament Joseph, as well, protects the bread of life for the entire world. Pope Pius in 1870 proclaimed St. Joseph the universal patron of the Catholic Church. He realized the typology between the two Josephs, Old Testament and New. He said Pharaoh made Joseph the lord of his household and prince over all his possessions. And as Almighty God appointed Joseph, son of the patriarch Jacob, over all the land of Egypt to save grain for the people. So when the fullness of time had come and God was about to send on earth his only begotten son, the savior of the world, he chose another Joseph, of whom the first had been a type, a typology. And he made him the Lord and chief of his household and possessions, the guardian of his choicest treasures. And my friends, his choicest treasures were Mary and Jesus, and Joseph is put in charge of them. 
So we see a lot of typology between the Joseph of Egypt and the Joseph of Bethlehem. And only eight years after this proclamation, Pope Pius IX would die, leaving St. Joseph, the patron of the Universal Catholic Church. More typology. Dreamers. Both are dreamers. Like the dreamer Joseph in the New Testament, the dreamer Joseph of the Old Testament. He had to dream and then he had to interpret what dreams meant. Both Josephs had to do this. Joseph in the New Testament has four dreams. His first one, Joseph is told not to be afraid to take Mary as his wife because she has conceived by the Holy Spirit. His second dream in Matthew 2.13 where Joseph is warned to leave Bethlehem and flee to Egypt. His third dream, Matthew 2.19-20, while in Egypt, Joseph is told that it is safe to return to Israel. And in his fourth dream, Matthew 2.22, because he had been warned in a dream, he departed for the region of Galilee instead of going to Judea. So he will move from Bethlehem to the Galilean region of Nazareth. Joseph in the Old Testament saw the she's bow down before him, the 12 brothers bowing down before him. He saw the stars and the sun, the moon bow to him. He's thrown into prison, remember, and the cupbearer and the baker are imprisoned with him. And one night they both have very upsetting dreams. And Joseph says, do not the interpretations belong to God. Tell them to me, I pray you. He knows the power to interpret dreams comes from God of Israel. The first, the cupbearer tells his dream. And Joseph tells him that within three days, Pharaoh will lift your head up and restore you to your office. You shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his butler. When the chief baker saw the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were on my head three cake baskets, three bread baskets, and in the uppermost basket were all sorts of baked bread for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on top of my head. And Joseph answered, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree and the birds will eat the flesh from you. And thus the baker was impaled. Joseph could interpret dreams by the power of God, but the cupbearer did not remember Joseph until two years later when Pharaoh had two dreams that no one in all of Egypt could interpret. When no one could interpret Pharaoh's dream, the cupbearer remembered Joseph in prison and told the Pharaoh about him. Pharaoh sent for the young Hebrew from prison and relayed his dreams to Joseph. He told about the grain and the cattle and Joseph knew the interpretation of the dream. Seven robust years will be followed by seven years of great famine. The Pharaoh was impressed with Joseph and his, his knowledge of the dreams, his leadership skills, and he makes him viceroy, governor, second in command in all of Egypt. He will be his right-hand man and all must go through Joseph for the bread of life. Seven days ago, we couldn't imagine anything remotely close to a seven-year famine. But on March 11, the World Health Organization publicly characterized COVID-19 as a pandemic. A pandemic is a global outbreak of disease, and pandemics happen when a new virus emerges to infect people and can spread between people sustainably. Because there's little to no pre-existing immunity against the new virus, it spreads worldwide. On March 13, 2020, Donald Trump, the President of the United States, declared the COVID-19 outbreak a national emergency. And immediately 
people started scrambling for food. We began to feel a tiny bit more of understanding for this Genesis book that we've been reading. Famine in the land, we'd go to the grocery stores and the shelves would be empty, no meat, no eggs, no bread, no toilet tissue. People really were stocking up on that. President Trump tweeted, I ask all Americans to band together and support your neighbors by not hoarding unnecessary amounts of food and essentials. Together, we will stay strong and overcome this challenge. Yet people still wiped out grocery shelves, leaving nothing for those behind them. Worse than Christmas, worse than holidays. The corona outbreak has affected all of us, this tiny, tiny, tiny little microbe. God has allowed it. The sovereign God of the universe has allowed this microbe. Just as God allowed a worldwide famine in the time of Joseph, God has allowed a worldwide pandemic in our lifetime. But how many times did we hear this this year? We know that in everything, God works for good for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. We remember last week the self-revelation of Joseph, his truest identity to his brothers. Joseph said to his brothers, come near me, I pray you. And they came near and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Jacob got reunited with his son Joseph, what seemed an impossibility but we also learned in Genesis that all things are possible with God. He has given with his family, his grandchildren, all his family, the best land, the land of Goshen in the Nile Delta River region. In Genesis 48, after this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Now, we remember back to Genesis chapter 41, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered into the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, the same age Jesus was, the same age John the Baptist was. Before the year of famine came, Joseph had two sons from Aseneth, the daughter of Potiphera. Joseph called the firstborn Manasseh, which means God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. I have forgotten my father's house. The second, he named Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Manasseh and Ephraim. Joseph is standing there now with his sons. And it was told to Jacob, your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and he sat up in bed. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine, says Jacob. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, says Jacob, just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. And the offspring born to you after them, Joseph, shall be yours. And they shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. For when I came from Padan, Rachel, to my sorrow, died in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was still some distance to go to Ephrathah. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrathah. Ephrathah is the old name for Bethlehem. We remember Rachel died giving birth to Benjamin and was buried there on the roadside. Her tomb is there to this day. When Israel saw Joseph's two sons, he said, who are these? And Joseph said to his father, they are my sons whom God has given me here. And he said, bring them to me. I pray you that I might bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. Who does that remind you of? His eyes were dim with age so that he could not see. He's a blind old man like his own father, Isaac. 
what comes around goes around. Blind Isaac and Jacob, you remember how he stole the blessing, deceiving his father Isaac in Genesis chapter 27. Now the eyes of Jacob, Israel, were dim with age that he could not see. Joseph brought them near to him and he kissed them and he embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I had not thought to see your face. And lo, God has let me see your children also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. Joseph is submitting to the greater. The lesser is blessed by the greater. Jacob, his father, he is submitting himself, bowing in obeisance to his father to receive the blessing. Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near to him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it upon the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand upon the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. You know the right hand is the blessing hand of the father. Jacob blessed Joseph and said, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has led me all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil. I think that's the angel he wrestled with that night. Bless the lads and in them let my name be perpetuated and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand upon the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. He took his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, not so my father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. And his father refused and said, I know my son, I know. He also shall become a people and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he. Just as Jacob, the younger brother was greater than Esau. And his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day saying, by you, Israel, will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Jacob put Ephraim before Manasseh. Again, the secondborn gets the blessing of the father, as we've seen so many times in Genesis. Ephraim was the second son of Joseph and Aseneth. You will remember Aseneth, the woman who Pharaoh gave to Joseph as a wife, the daughter of Potipharah, Potiphar's wife, and possibly the daughter and product of Dinah's rape by Shechem. Ephraim was born in Egypt before the arrival of the children of Israel from Cana. Ephraim was the will be the ancestor of Joshua, the great Joshua, son of Nun, successor of Moses, the leader of the Israelite tribes in the conquest of Cana after Moses. Also from the tribe of Ephraim came King Jeroboam, the first king of the northern kingdom of Israel after the divide of the kingdom. That was part one of the book of Genesis, chapters 48 through 50, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible Studies, visit SeekingTruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.